Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Chest, flagship podcast of windshield wipers. Intermittent, fast speed, the little nozzles that spray. We're going to get into it all on this episode of The Vergecast. They work. In every episode of The Vergecast from here on out. We're pivoting, guys. We're actually pivoting. It's What's just... your favorite brand of washer fluid? Call the hotline. <laughs> Is it just Windex? Does anyone have a favorite brand? Actually, I'm dying to know. Is there an iOS versus Android of windshield washer fluid? hundred percent there is. A hundred percent. Email us. No, no, no. Sorry. Just email Neelai specifically. Please don't email any of the rest of us. <laughs> the the Rain-X fanboys are coming. <laughs> Hi, I'm your friend Neelai. That's David Pierce. Hi. Alex Kranz is here. I'm also here. I think just Windex is fine. Like, I think you just pour that in. It's, it's okay. Just raw Windex? Just raw Windex. Is that raw? I feel like a mechanic once told me never do that. But I also think he's not here and I don't remember his name. So it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. If you forget a guy, what he said is definitely wrong. Yeah, that's how this works. All right. Well, go ahead and pour some raw Windex into your windshield hood. I'm just dying to, like, on Instagram threads the other day, it, you know, the platform is rife with engagement bait. Adam Masseri straight up was like, Android is better than iOS in response to Marquez Brownlee. A million responses. I put that in a quick post on our site just to make a joke about Instagram engagement bait being out of control. And then that post got 40 comments about Android versus iOS. It's it's just the easiest thing we can do. I'll say it right now. Android's better than iOS. Leave a comment on YouTube. Boost that algo. <laughs> it works every time. I got you. I'm just saying, is it, does that exist for windshield washer fluid? It has to. Because it exists for things like blenders. You know, right? it exists. Like Shark versus Vitamix. You can get into it. It exists for like car leather cleaner. I Meg we are. I maybe follow else. some some car detailers. It's like ASMR for me. It's just like, oh, that's so soothing. And they're like, this is the one you want to use. Somebody tells you another one, it's garbage. <laughs> Alex, are you talking about the videos where they they do the like supercut of them just like wiping all the dirt off the cars. You know, those are always like six different cars that they do that to. And it's just a full lie. No, this is always one car. No, it, no. you're just being lied to is the thing, Alex. I'm really sorry to be the one to break this to you. Oh David is finally like, it's all the same. Both operating <laughs> systems are the same. Here's what I want. I want a list of vitriolic consumer product debates. So you got, you got your Xbox versus PlayStation. That's n- number one. Then I think uh, number two is iOS versus Android. I think, I think Windows Dyson? versus Mac has actually fallen off. I think that's like 
no one cares anymore. Like you walk into a, a room full of people using Windows and you're like, I have a Mac. And everyone's like, we know. Yeah, they all just sort of shook hands and walked away. Like, I think that's that's basically over. <laughs> yeah, like they all have iPhones. Yeah. But I think Melee versus Dyson, I would say that's probably Oh, that's one. good. I feel like people have strong opinions about which $600 vacuum cleaner yeah. they cape for. And all of them are far outdone by sharks. I'm just letting you know. All right. That's enough of this. It's the Linux. But I, I'm dying to know. This is your engagement bait homework. Leave it in a comment on the on the post on the site or on YouTube or wherever you're listening. What's your number one silly consumer product battle? And you can't pick iOS versus Android. You can't pick Xbox versus PlayStation or Windows versus Mac. We know. We know. No Marvel versus DC. That's not, is that even a fight? No. <laughs> like, it's just Marvel versus Zack Snyder's box of movie. Supergirl's cool. I got a, uh, I got a reply on threads. It was like, dude really said at t screwed up its network to make Grayscale Justice League. <laughs> and I was like, sure did. Yep. 100% said that. No fully stand by it. It's true, too. It's still true. Liam, our producer, has been begging for us to do a segment called Verge Debates, Ooh. where we just put people on different sides of an argument and make them fight to the death about yes. different things. So if if everyone sends us enough of these holy wars in the tech industry to fight about, Liam's going to get to launch this show and he's going to be so happy. So please send them to us. Vergecastetheverge.com. Send them all. We will fight about them. Yeah. Or, or in the YouTube comments or on the site. You already YouTube have comments, the send it to five of your friends and have them comment too. Let's make this go viral. <laughs> you know, like and ring that bell. Is that what the kids say? It's horrible. <laughs> All right. There's a lot to talk about this week, starting, of course, with uh, the latest photo of the Cybertruck wiper, which we'll get to. That's how this all started. Uh, <laughs> there's new Beat Studio Pro headphones that are really interesting, actually. There's some charging news from Tesla, really interesting laptop comparisons from Monica that we should get into. Then Hollywood's on strike. Yep. No movies. Because of streaming services. It just says tree law in all capital letters in the rundown here. Dying to know what that means. <laughs> uh, Netflix had earnings. Then we got a lightning round. So let's start with some gadgets. It's been a minute since we just sat in gadget world. What do you think? Start with the Beats? Let's do Beats first. Yeah. I'm fascinated by these headphones. Me too. Why? I'm not. Please okay. explain. Krantz, he here's the, here's the big question I've been debating for like 36 hours now since I first saw this review. So the thing about these headphones, they're the Beats Studio Pro headphones. They're Beats' latest over-the-ear headphones. They have some cool upgrades. They have transparency mode. They have lossless USB-C audio. They look exactly the same as the mm -hmm. old Beats headphones. And Chris Welch, who wrote a review, it's very good. We'll put it in the show notes. You can feel him in this review trying to decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That it's like, there's nothing wrong with this design, but they look like the old headphones. Is that bad? And I want to know what you guys think. Like, I think this is Beats is a very good design. They make good headphones. Like LeBron James wears them. That's all great. Beats has good reasons for not changing it. Is this like an old design that needs to die? Or once you nail it, do you just never mess with it again? Ooh, that's interesting. Okay, never mind. These are interesting. Right? I like I want to debate Because the that. feature set is really wild for Apple. Apple supporting lossless USB-C audio is bonkers. And it natively supports both iOS and Android. So it is in most ways feature-wise this is the best pair of headphones Apple makes. Yeah. Like hands down. But but do you know where you, what you can't get lossless USB-C audio off of? An iPhone. <laughs> Like, what about adapters? It's just, a, it's just a wild feature for them to support on these headphones. But I'm utterly fascinated by the fact that Beats exists. Apple has stuck with it. It's obviously a big market because they sell so many phones to Android users, and they are catering to Android users with this sub-brand. And they're building features that are just off to the side of everything they're doing 
with headphones in Apple. Well, that's how they, they get you in. You're like, wow, I really I love don't think the you USB-C jump from these. I don't think you buy these headphones for, for lossless USB-C. I'm the only person who's going to buy them. It's me and the Vergecast team. That's correct. That's the list. We now call the listeners part of the team. Vergecast listeners and I are going to buy these headphones for lossless USB-C audio. No one jumps from there to a pair of AirPods with utterly compressed Bluetooth audio. Like, that's not the path. Mm-hmm. So it's just the features here are going this way. Well, Apple's doing spatial audio this way. And it's it's Beats gets to be its own little thing. And I think they maybe just don't have designers or Apple doesn't want to pay the money for new tooling on the headphones. Or there's nothing wrong with the design. Don't change it. Like, like look at the pictures of these headphones and tell me what's wrong with the design. Other than I've seen this before on an older pair of headphones. I mean, they uh, look like Beats, and Beats are inherently kind of ugly. And I associate with cheapness because remember when the Beats used to stick weights in there before Apple owned them? They'd stick oh, yeah. weights in <laughs> to yeah. make them more expensive. That. So that like – but you didn't change that after that happened. So like at this point, Beats is Beats. That's the brand. I kind of like that they didn't change it because like – Grados, nobody's out there being like, why aren't the Grados getting a whole new redesign? Yeah, they're like made of wood and people are like, well, they sound good. That's fine. Carved differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think Apple doesn't want these to get too much attention. I, I, I think they, they bought Beats for the music streaming service that turned into Apple Music. They inherited a headphone company and turning off free money is just, it's against everything Tim Cook stands for in this world. And so you can just like upgrade the headphones and keep selling them at high margins Inside the same case, and what really what you've changed is some chips and some software. You're going to keep doing that forever. I, I think that's what's happening here. But I does Apple want Beats to be a world conquering success? Like absolutely not. They sure. want AirPods Max to be a world conquering success, and it's probably time. I bet they changed the design of the AirPods Max before they changed the design of Beats Studio. A hundred percent. But that's that's all interesting and probably true. But that's like a that's a business story, right? Does that make the headphones worse? In any meaning, like, should you not buy these headphones as a result of that? That, to me, is really the question. No, you should still buy them. I mean, I personally think they're ugly, but I would never buy them. But you would have thought that about the last generation. Yeah, I would have thought that about every generation. Yeah, you're just not a Beats person. But if if you are a Beats person, I don't see why you should be like, oh, man, I really want, like, I want them to look more like Apple headphones or Sony or something. Like, Sony changes theirs every few years. And they're always. I'm skipping this generation. Ugly. I, I got to wait like five years to I, upgrade my Sony. I bought this generation at an airport tech place because I was going on a trip. That's how they get And you. I got on the plane, and the battery on them is dead. Oh no! And I can't return them because it was the airport. <laughs> port. So I got to go deal with that. But they're terrible. But yeah, like I bought them because the sound was better. I didn't really care about the look. Of them. Sure. And they're on your head. Yeah. It's, it's actually very hard to see headphones that you are wearing. True. <laughs> it's just one of those facts. But look, these headphones are all really expensive. These are 350 bucks. That 350 bucks has gotten you better and better build quality over the years. So the Sony's that we all talk about, the Bose that we all talk about, the quiet comforts, the money has gotten you better headphones, better build quality, better materials year on year. And with Beats, it's like, here they are. The finish gets fingerprints on them the same as they ever did. So I just think that, to me, the discrepancy in the two Apple headphone ecosystems is utterly fascinating. I love it. And I, I think the reason the materials are, have stayed, they're not cheap, but stayed cheap to manufacture because they're already manufactured at scale is because Tim Cook is like 70% margins. 
Let's go. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I like it. It's so that's, indicative yeah. of like Tim Cook's apple. Like Steve Jobs never would have let this happen. Do you think he says let's go in meetings? Let's go. He does it like <laughs> in the Mario voice. I would pay $1 million to hear Tim Cook do the Mario voice. Same. Just putting that out there. I don't, I don't have it, you know, but I'll get it. We'll figure it out. We'll crowdfund that. All right. Let's talk about some laptops real quick. Lots of laptop news this week. Sean got to play with the Framework Laptop 16, which is the Framework Laptop that has a discrete replaceable GPU. That's really something. Everyone should go watch that video that he made and read his story, by the way, because the joy that man felt in using this computer was so wonderful. It's very cool. I mean, the the Framework Laptop 16 is like the most modular laptop I've ever seen, right? And and its big thing is you can actually, can, is, can we make modular a verb? You can modular in a <laughs> uh, discrete GPU and that's big and exciting and it seems to work and it's very cool. But like, you can just feel Sean being like, this is the computer I have been dreaming of <laughs> for so many years. And it's it, it just makes me so happy. Everyone should go read that story and watch the video. I like that it, doesn't for a while there there were modular laptops kind of like the area 51m and and a bunch of like origin and, and folks would make their own versions and they all looked the exact same and that they were very deeply ugly and this one looks like a nicer iteration of that yeah, it looks but, like a laptop like yeah. kudos to framework for doing a good job of making a modular laptop that looks like a laptop but not like a gaming like a cheap gaming laptop like yeah. for a while there all the modular ones looked like cheap gaming laptops and now it's like oh I mean, this is still not the most attractive thing in the world, but that's what you that's the exchange you do. You get modular. It's a little less attractive. Yeah. yeah. Your GPU is two feet long and it weighs 100 pounds. <laughs> like you don't have you're, you're not going to make an attractive computer out of that. But but that's OK. It is what it is. And they seem to have gotten almost everything else about it right, which I think is very cool. Yes. Framework in general, I think, is like a company worth rooting for for a lot of reasons and I think continues to be delivering on the thing that it said it was going to do and a lot of people didn't think it could pull off. And I just think that's cool. Let me just read you this sentence in response to that statement, David. This is Sean. My only regret is I can't give you any idea how well it works because Framework broke the fans on the only GPU module in the United States. (laughs) It's it's new. (laughs) Prototypes. We were only able to run a few smooth minutes of Elden Ring before the system began throttling itself due to the utter lack of cooling. I did enjoy that. The game was so (laughs) sick, and then I burned my house down. (laughs) So they they are shipping another one from Taiwan. I'm just saying, it's still a very complicated problem. Yes. It's very cool. It is very... I mean, and cooling, that was a good pun you just Uh, did by accident there, because... The cooling seems to be the thing. And Sean actually talked to one of the people who worked on the Area 51M. And the big thing is, like, how do we get a GPU into this computer and keep it and the computer cool? And so Framework has a different idea about, you know, putting the fans in with the GPU. But that is the question. Like, that is the thing to solve to make this thing work. And you're right, Neil. We have not successfully actually seen this thing work yet. But I'm... I'm still hopeful. Let me have it's this. It's good progress. Well, there's two things. There's one, does this one work? And then there's the whole point of making the discrete GPU with a connector work, which is then you will sell me a new GPU in the future. And that is, I would say, an 80% commitment. 80, 85? It's a vibes commitment, not a we will sell you a GPU that uses this connector and works in this laptop. In I the think future. it's it's notable that he talks a lot about the Area 51M in this, and that one also promised to me and a lot of other folks 
that it was going to have replaceable GPUs. And people actually tried to file a class action lawsuit because yeah. the, the GPUs never came. They couldn't do it. They've all settled out of court in arbitration. But, like, it's a hard project. And, and if the companies of AMD, NVIDIA, OEMs have zero desire to do it, it's not going to happen. And right now they have some some desire. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit of it. Well, and, and part of the reason I like framework is because it is it's a place those companies can put that desire, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like it is it is the one company actually sort of pushing on this so that if you want to do this and you are an executive at AMD or NVIDIA or one of these companies, you actually have a partner with which to spin up a project on some of this stuff. And so much of this kind of stuff that we've seen, this just makes me think of like, you know, the Project Aura at at I knew, was, I like, knew we were coming back to Project my Aura. My favorite gadget of all time. I will die on the hill of Project Aura. <laughs> and I guess I'm already dead because it died a long time ago. But anyway, <laughs> it's very uh, dead. It was like these things have just sort of been one-off skunk works in there. And I think just the fact that Framework exists and is selling real products to real people puts that further along. It's not going to work forever. Dell was doing it. Alienware was doing it. And there was all these other smaller OEMs who were trying to promise the same thing. This was 2019 was the last time we saw this. And I think it's no mistake that like heavily involved in this project is AMD's Frank Azar, who was at Dell at the time and was spearheading that for Alienware. And it's a hard – like the the cooling is a hard problem that he gets into here. And it's one that they are always pretty reluctant – to overcome because these GPUs are just getting hotter and they're getting bigger. And and who like nobody wants to be like, okay, well, we made it run as good as last year's, but it can go in your replaceable laptop. Like that's a bad buy for people. So how do they get like they have to think from the ground up about that heat situation. And that I think is going to be really tricky to get NVIDIA and AMD to do, even with Frank Azzer's involvement in this project. And I, I also think there's just a good utility for a framework to exist for almost all these companies because Right to repair laws are not going away. Yep. They are bipartisan. They're showing up. People want them. Europe it continues to exist somewhat befuddlingly. They seem to want things all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. They got feelings about laws. <laughs> and here's this company that has made the most right to repair product. And so I think there's there's a value in framework continuing to iterate and like push the industry forward, even if the products aren't successful or whatever, because at some point, the demand for everyone else to figure it out is going to be there. I mean, if it gets successful, that's that's the win, right? Like, if this thing gets any market share beyond like two people buying it, Sean and myself, that that's that's a win because yeah. that means oh, there's actual appetite, and everybody else is going to be like, oh, maybe I. Sh-. Everybody besides Apple, Apple will never ever do this. Just, just Apple it. won't admit the GPUs exist. Yeah. It's They're like, no, 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 never no. happened. You'd be quiet now. But like, <laughs> I could see a Lenovo or an HP being like, yeah, yeah let's So let's, let's talk. So, well, two things. One, in order for you and Sean to buy this laptop, they need more than zero functional GPU. <laughs> in the United States. So that's a big, that's yeah. step one. Like, how do we sell two? We need two. Like, business 101. Two, let's talk about the flip side of it, which is Monica's laptop piece this week, comparing the HP Spectre X360 to the, the Dell XPS 13. This is the other side of laptop world. Like, tiny, highly integrated, jewel-like Windows laptops. These are the MacBook Air competitors. These are the These MacBook are like Air competitors. The, the, peop- the, the random people in your life who say, what computer should I buy? It's these two and the MacBook Air are like the three go-to answers in the world that exist. Ooh, 
I will say that she was like, she did a versus article and gave them both an eight. <laughs> it's a good talk about it. There's your engagement, B. <laughs> <laughs> I would just looking at this, I, I would lean Spectre. I, I think HP's on a track here that's really fascinating, and the screen is 3.2. Yeah. I like that HP is always willing to like do weird stuff in their laptop designs. They have been for a while now. Remember when they did like wooden laptops? Like uh, they had wooden palm rests. I yes. love it. I like get quirky. It's fun. No, disagree. Get quirky <laughs> over there and then just make a laptop that is good because the Windows world is like severely short on laptops that are just good. But Neelai, while we're talking about this HP laptop, can I read you a sentence? Yes. Here is the whole sentence. I averaged just over four hours from continuous use of this OLED device. <laughs> four hours. That's just Windows laptop world, man. That is honestly, I, I believe to my bones that that is an unacceptable amount of battery life in the year 2023. Like that's so, so, so bad. And this to me is like, where Apple has just absolutely lapped everybody. Uh, like the the Spectre in particular that Monica reviewed is is beautiful. The screen is great. The speakers seem to be good. The video chat stuff is fine. It has some nifty features. Four hours is not enough. Four hours is like I take out my computer when the Wi-Fi starts on my flight from DC to San Francisco and it's dead before I get to San Francisco. And that doesn't work. Yeah, that's just not it's it's a deal breaker for me. And that kills me that that is still the thing that holds back so many of these Windows computers. How much of it can be designed out of right? Like like Apple, the reason the Apple battery life is so good is because Apple controls every single element of it, including the processor. So they can have it all work together really, really well. Everybody else is using to some extent off the shelf parts. Like they have to work with Intel or AMD to get those processors that work really, really well and then have all the like and Windows and whatever the battery manufacturer is like. That's a lot more complex. This is not me supporting vertical integration, but it has wow. resulted in a lovely laptop. Like what if Microsoft made its own laptops? Would they get better battery life? Is the Surface battery life good? The Surface laptop. Yeah. Has different chips. That's right. They do. So these are these are. It's older, but I, I think Monica got like eleven hours from like a Ryzen chip, okay, and a Surface laptop the last Ooh. time. But that's it's it's rough. Yeah, right. It's like it's better saying, than the HP. It's like saying your Honda Civic gets better gas mileage than your Porsche. Like it, it's it's just like hard to compare. <laughs> it's but you're right. The problem is the same, right? Yeah, the, the things are not engineered together, and it's tough even for Microsoft. But it 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 is more fully down to AMD and Intel than it is to Windows. Yeah. It, yeah. And th I think that's my is, read of it. This is where you can lay most of the blame at Intel's feet, like in a, in a super real way, right? It's like, it is possible for these other devices to get good battery life and run Windows, but they come with all these other sacrifices, like you're talking about, such that Intel has spent so long making sure it is like the Windows thing. Like everything good about Windows is, is made with Intel in mind, and Intel just can't hack it battery life wise anymore. It just can't. And it just needs to get its crap together. And it even switched its philosophy on how it designs these things. And it's still <laughs> so bar far behind. Oh, man. Okay, I just looked it up. Okay. How about that? Surface Laptop 4 with an AMD chip. Okay. That was 10 hours and 52 minutes. The new one that my Monica just reviewed with an Intel chip, 7 hours and 51 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> we can't be going backwards, guys. No. Like, yeah. I have to give up my headphone jack. I have to give things up. In the name of progress, where is my progress that I'm gaining 
in losing battery life. This is what I when I say the Windows versus Mac debate is like it's just fallen off the list. Like you can walk into the Windows Users Club with your Mac laptop and they're like, We know your battery life. Shut up. We have we have GPUs. I get 10 minutes from this NVIDIA GPU. The frustrating part is like, I actually think you can have a really interesting like Windows versus Mac OS debate. Like Richard Lawler on our team will occasionally just show up in Slack and drop 650 consecutive messages about how annoying he finds Mac OS because it doesn't do anything. You have to like download apps if you want to move Windows around. And he's right about that. Like Windows is a much more capable in certain ways operating system than Mac OS is. You can have that debate, but like Apple just makes better laptops and it's not close. Like it's it's probably still true that a like Hackintosh MacBook Air is the best Windows laptop at the moment. It is harder to do that now. It's harder to do that and you still have crap battery life. Yeah, but it's so do my Windows computers. Whatever. Like, I'm just taking know. I'm taking a Spectre. I'm buying an Anchor USB battery. That's my, my look at these laptops. They're beautiful. If you've not checked they in on beautiful. the state of Windows laptops and you, you you think they're still where they were. I just go look at Monica's comparison of these two laptops. Like they are beautiful. Like Apple should boost some ideas from these hardware designs. Where Apple just has the opportunity is like the chips make the MacBook Air is just a, a wisp of a thing now. Um, but these computers are absolutely beautiful. And yeah, the Spectre has these like gold accents and this like soft touch thing. It's lovely. It's beautiful. Very into this computer. And for the twenty minutes, you can use it. <laughs> Before you have to plug it into your ten thousand milliampere battery. Should we talk about speaking of impractical? Yes. Have you have you you've you've looked at it the the Tesla? Speaking of impractical, <laughs> that was a good segue. That's very good. You've looked at the window. The windshield. I would like wiper. to be congratulated. Yeah. For not starting the show and I'm ending the show so and proud only of you. on the show talking about this wiper. I guess I did start with the wiper. <laughs> you did. All right. You just alluded to it. So Tesla had earnings this week. Okay. They announced a bunch of stuff. Tesla revenue way up because they keep slashing prices. Their margins are coming down. Elon said they would license full self-driving to another automaker, and apparently there's an automaker interested. He talked about the charging network and how that's going to be a source of revenue. So Tesla, in a, in a moment of change, I, I would just say, right? Lower prices, higher revenue, lower margins. Interesting place for Tesla to be. Opening up the software stack, fascinating. They said they're doing release candidates of the Cybertruck from their factory. You see them rolling around Texas. It's very funny. But I just, you guys, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, you go look on our site. There's a picture of the Cybertruck off-roading, covered in mud, with its big silly wiper trying to wipe <laughs> the mud off the windshield. And the wiper sucks. This is an official Tesla press photo. This isn't me concocting some sort of fake biased mud trial because I hate Elon Musk. I'm looking at the photo the company sent us of its wiper supposedly wiping, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> I mean, it honestly, A, it doesn't wipe completely, and B, it only even attempts to wipe like 60% of the windshield. You know what yeah, this looks like, like to If me? you are on the passenger side of this truck, you're not seeing anything. Have you ever done the thing when it's cold and you have like snow on your windshield? So you like pull your sleeve over your hand and you just, you do this sort of one big wipe <laughs> just to get some of the snow off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. That's what this windshield wiper does. It's yeah. just yeah. your dumb your, your, jacketed your... arm just going. <laughs> <laughs> That's your windshield wiper. I mean, it's just like, I can't believe they released this. Like, at least Photoshop it. <laughs> Ask Mid Journey to be like, insert clean windshield. 
They, like, whatever they don't need that you loss. need to do. But this photo is it's just objectively hilarious how bad the wiper is in Tesla's own photo. I, I cannot believe we all just let it slide. This we are recording a day after this photo came out, and I I'm just I'm flabbergasted that we as a society this is why Elon bought Twitter, so we couldn't all just clown on this photo. Like, look, just look at it. I beg you. Is it look at this photo. This is our country's finest engineering minds. And they're like, I don't know, this wiper's fine. It's it's nuts. Everything else about the Cybertruck kind of interesting, right? They made it, it's much smaller. The packaging is much smaller. So it has a six and a half foot bed in a sub 19 foot frame. A regular pickup truck, my pickup truck is longer than 19 feet. It has a five foot five. This one, so this one is because bed. it can park in normal garages. So it can fit in a normal garage. Do you have a special garage? No. I, um, to get the rafter in my garage, you get two inches on a side. It is good terrifying, Lord. but I'm really good at it now. And now I think I can drive that car anywhere and I, I should not. <laughs> uh, that's not, that's not the, that's not accurate. But uh, trucks are getting much longer. Yeah. So this one has a longer bed and a shorter package. Super interesting. Packaging innovation from Tesla. They're getting better at manufacturing it, which is a very complicated thing to manufacture. They, I'm just saying, they have not in any way figured out how to wipe the windshield. Can you? <laughs> just, I just not. They haven't solved it. Why is it hard to do? Wipe the windshield? I've, I, my car it's does not. it quite easily. Yeah, we've solved this problem. We have such good windshield wiper technology now that Tesla is choosing not to use. What what is the rationale there well, besides so it's, like it's we don't want to? Because the windshield passengers. is at such an extreme angle and it's so large. Okay. Because big wiper. Why well, have good wiper when you can have big wiper? It's true. So <laughs> Elon, again, we've covered this extensively. Elon has said the wiper <laughs> like gives him the most like anxiety about the Cybertruck because I think mounting sta- standard wipers on that angle for that size, like it does. I think it would be less effective than the one big wiper. How likely is this thing, as soon as you get it on the road, behind like a gravel truck to just be the most useless windshield well, Based the on world? the evidence I have from the company's own marketing materials. It's just wrecked. I just, I just look at the picture. It's incredible. Everything, like, I'm curious about this car. I like trucks. I think it would be fun to go really fast in a triangle. I want to see into this it. on a ranch. I want to see this driving through, like, dealing with cattle, feeding the cattle big shiny metal thing that'll burn at the touch just uh, like yeah how's it gonna stay cold who knows more questions starting grass fires with the reflection so it's not supposed to ship until late next year really but they've started production so that's like the big news and then the other news that i think is just surrounding tesla that's worth talking about is the flood of companies that are adopting the nacs charging standard which is the tesla plug abandoning ccs which is the other garbage plug, quite frankly. It's an unusual case of the right standard winning and turning into a standard versus whatever bad, like the proprietary thing is going to become the standard. Good on Tesla for making that happen. The mechanics of it, I think, are still really unclear. Like these companies are signing deals to use this connector. It's not just a standard yet. Unclear how that will work. The Society of Automotive Engineers, they say they're going to make it a standard. You can see how Tesla is sort of being incentivized by government subsidies to enable people to use it in order to get tax rebates on, on Could charging network and other things. Tesla hit a point where they say they start charging astronomical fees for you to use this charging standard and companies are forced to pay those fees. Otherwise, they can't have their cars charge. Across- can Elon do a rug pull on yeah. an ECS? I don't think so. I, I, I'm reasonably certain that 
he can't fool every major car manufacturer. Like maybe one, like maybe if like Nissan was like, we did it. We'd be like, ah, ah you picked Chademo the last time. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, I don't know, like you're bad at this, but the, he's got four GM Volvo, uh, VW, like just down the line, he's got them all and more signing every day. So you, you get the feeling, at least in the United States, they're going to end up here and the thing will actually become a standard. Electrify America is going to use it. And what we're just ending up with right now is like this weird interstitial period where it's dongle town for cars, which is not great. Driving there was to a dongle great, town. Andy Hawkins wrote a story about this and, and had a quote from somebody who said, I feel like I'm driving a Betamax, which yeah. is just a really delightful. Because you are. Neil, correct me if I'm understanding this wrong, but this seems like the kind of thing where the best case scenario, everybody wins, which is that basically we get a charging network that everybody needs, including Tesla, that Tesla doesn't have to build for itself, that works for everybody, thus makes people worry less about range anxiety, thus makes more people buy EVs, thus is good for the government and Tesla and all these other companies. Like, who loses in this? It seems like the, the part that's sketchy is that a company invented the thing that is becoming the standard and that that company is Tesla, which is sort of run by a man who is not famously predictable. But like... Everything else about this seems like it's heading in a good direction, right? Am I missing something? I think that's right. I think maybe the the people who are the most upset are Tesla shareholders who think that Tesla should be a monopoly. Sure. Right. But even Elon Musk doesn't apparently think Tesla should be a monopoly. But for a minute, if you want an electric car, the only viable choice was a Tesla. Even today, mm-hmm. and there are really good EVs out there right now, even today, if you want to travel a lot in your EV... You need to buy a Tesla because they have the infrastructure to support that kind of EV travel. Now you don't, right? Because they're just going to open up the charging network and their big moat that made their car the best car is gone or loosening. You can still argue that they have the best software experience and the best full self driving, but that's just car stuff now. Before it was like you buy this car and there are not enough gas stations for you. And that's gone, right, with, with these deals. So I, I, I think Tesla's just in a more competitive environment. It would be like Apple supporting RCS. It's like literally <laughs> you're right, like they, giving up one of your biggest pieces of lock-in willingly. Right. And I, I really do think that Tesla had to do it because of various, basically, Biden administration policies that, that made them do it to get the tax credits in various ways. I think they had to do it because if they didn't, then Ford and GM and whoever else would actually invest in Electrify America would actually make that network possible because they they need it to compete. And I think Ford, Jim Farley, has been on Decoder, and so we know the charging experience sucks. They have this massive investment in Mustang Mach-E's and F-150 Lightnings and all these other EVs that aren't moving the way they were moving last year with all the tax credits, because of the, partially because of the charging network problems. So I, I, you just see, like, okay, do I want to face off against all the world's biggest automakers who will band together and pick the bad standard? Or do I want to try to make some money off the supercharging network that I've spent tons and tons of money building and I'll maybe I'll charge higher rates to Ford customer. Like they, they can play these games. The problem is going to be, and this is really in an Andy's piece, the software that makes all this work seamlessly for people is going to be nuts. Yeah. Right. Like if you roll up to a supercharger, which doesn't have a screen and you want to pay for it, you need one app, a Tesla app to pay for it. And you roll up to electrify America or charge net or whatever. And you need another app and all those are different billing systems and your car is sort of incompatible with every, like, ugh. So I think there's there's a layer of software compatibility that needs to happen here that I don't know. It does feel like I have a Jeep with an old the old the now the old connector, the CCS connector. I'm like, crap, I bought the wrong charging station for my garage. I got this dumb Betamax car. 
it's a, this feels like a bad time to buy an EV in a way that is the opposite of the intended result, right? Like you buy a new Kia and you're like, welcome to Dongletown. Like that sucks. <laughs> this is like that. Do you remember when everybody was buying combo VCR DVD players? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is that moment. And then eventually we'll get to some. We had better. a good comment on Andy's piece, actually. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was complaining about dongles. And the response, what I thought was really smart was, this isn't like a phone. Cars are really big. You can put the adapters almost anywhere. <laughs> That's like, fair. They're like, yeah. we have trunks and front trunks and glove boxes. Like, you'll be fine. And that's probably correct. That is very true. All right, we got to take a break. Man, we've been out. Gadgets. We got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll do maybe a little more gadgets and we'll talk about Hollywood. We'll be right back. Support for the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, we're back. Welcome back to Wiper Talk. Do you have a favorite brand of wipers? <laughs> I've, again, I think those detailers now, will, will have one. By the way, car detail TikTok, one of my favorite TikToks. Oh, yeah. Could watch it all day long. The, the people who just like take the little brush to paint the stripe and just do it freehand all the way down the car. Yeah. Ugh. It's beautiful. And then you're like, don't do that to the car. Like, why, <laughs> why do you have this well, yeah, there's that. Why, why did the market create the need for this product? A little loopy. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Hollywood, but I think the way to talk about Hollywood is to start by talking about AI. Oh, yeah, that works. Right, there's some AI news. I think that will lead us into the interlocking strikes that have yes. brought Hollywood to its knees, which are in their core about AI. But there's a bunch of actual AI news this week. So first, German reported at Bloomberg that Apple has an AI chatbot. They haven't quite figured out what to do with it, which is funny all on its own. I love why they made it, though. They made it because they didn't want their employees using, like, BARD or ChatGPT yeah. for security reasons. And so they were like, okay, we'll, we'll just make our own. Now and we then, did it. What do we do with and it? And then here's the fascinating part. They're running it on Google Cloud. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is just wild. It makes sense. Like, Apple has a bunch of products that could use an LLM. The new uh, keyboard in iOS 17 
where it has a language model sort of built into it for better autocorrect. By the way, have you seen this conspiracy theory? I don't know what you want to call it. This claim that the key autocorrect in the current iOS keyboard is very bad. is And getting worse. And yes. getting worse. Taylor Lorenz made a Instagram video and it like tagged me in it and was like, figure this out. And I was like, it seems fine for me. I don't know how to. It's just a vibe. It is. I can't tell you how many times somebody says, I'm sorry, what did you say? And then I have to go look back and be like, that's not what I typed. You think it's getting worse? I, it's, it feels like it's getting worse. I'm dying Maybe to my send fingers us are an dumber. email, leave us a comment if you think it's getting worse. This is a very difficult thing to measure. I have not noticed it, but it seems like Alex has. David, what about you? I definitely have not noticed it getting worse. It seems it seems fine to I me. Here's my theory. It's the summer and everyone's drinking. I was I was about to say, this hap- this happened to me on the path train today where I was sober. Where everyone's hammered. <laughs> there were some hammered people, but I was sober <laughs> and it still did it. But it does also happen, seems to happen more when yeah. you're having a good time. I'm just saying, like you, you soak that iPhone in rosé. Keyboard doesn't work so well. <laughs> just, ooh, conspiracy. But I'm dying to know if people have seen it because I've seen this around. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Taylor uh, tagged me in a video she made. I've seen other uh, videos about it. But I, it's it's like impossible to measure. So we just need a lot of like anic data. My, my running hypothesis is that this is kind of along the lines of the my phone is listening to me conspiracy theory in that like you see 700,000 ads a day. And the one that happens to have been perfectly targeted is the only one you pay attention to, which ironically is a statement about how good targeted ads actually are, but is also the thing that makes people think they're listening. It's like, no, it's just it's it's a one in 700,000 chance. And you just only notice the one that got it right. This strikes me as sort of the same thing where like people type a lot into their phones and these things make mistakes. And some of them are weird. The ones that always get me are the people who type a word and it pops up the little autocorrect bubble trying to autocorrect it to something insane. Yeah. I have not noticed that again on my phone, but there are lots of people who say that it has. It changed what are you doing to water doing. I'm like, that's just, no one talks like that, Uh, Apple. People from Pennsylvania. (laughs) I'm not from there. (laughs) We just assumed. (laughs) All right. We started by talking about AI and we ended up with this keyword thing. Let let me know. Let us know. We're dying to know. Yes. We, I'd love to run the story to ground, and the only way I can do it is responses. So Apple's building this thing called Ajax. They're running it in Google Cloud. They are doing LMs in the keyboard. You can see how they would want to plug this thing into Siri. Yeah. It is wild to me that Amazon hasn't plugged an LLM into Alexa, and Google hasn't plugged one into Assistant. Siri, no one's going to be like, oh, no, you changed Siri. <laughs> Like, fine. Like, let Siri try to come on to you a little bit. One person is. I don't know who you are, but you're out there and you're going to be really upset. And I'm it's, so sorry. It's amazing to me that at this moment in time, Microsoft has hornier products than Apple. No, that doesn't shock me at all. <laughs> Microsoft always much more low-key horny than Apple. No. Since the beginning. No, now we got to, no. I disagree. I don't know how, I don't know how <laughs> this, to further this conversation. This is our inaugural um, debate. <laughs> I don't. For a future podcast. I've never wanted to not have a conversation, but also viscerally disagree <laughs> with you as much as I do right now. I win. <laughs> he can't argue. I win. I don't. I don't know how to say that's just wrong. Please don't debate me in the Vergecast emails with this one either, folks. I don't I don't need it. That's but, fine. All I'm saying is it's weird that Bing is like, let's do it. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> <laughs> the thing that's not weird, you said it's weird that these things haven't been integrated into like Alexa and Assistant and Siri yet. They're 
bad. Like it's really important to remember that like <laughs> chat GPT is bad. It's like, it's fascinating and it's interesting. And there's so many things you can do with it that are very cool. It's wrong a lot. And, and I think like Siri sucks, but is not prone to lying to you. And I think all this stuff that we're reckoning with, with like, what does it mean that chat GPT exists? Like, what if I asked Siri to turn off Bluetooth and the large language model, like told me Bluetooth doesn't exist and like invented a conspiracy <laughs> theory about Bluetooth and how Bluetooth is what my phone is using to listen to me. Wait, I just want to point out that might be a better situation than whatever happens with Siri now. <laughs> when it says, here's some web results for Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, That's not helpful. Like, fine, spin me a yard about the pirate named Bluetooth. Like, I don't, at least it's interesting. Yeah. But I think this is my, this is why I like this Apple story because like, if you follow the timeline here, this is what Apple does, right? They let everybody make the products, and then Apple comes in and says, we're the ones who made this good. I think what is very clearly true is that you cannot yet solve all of the problems of these large language models. We just haven't figured out how to do it. And there's no indication, really, ever that Apple has some like generations ahead AI thing going on. If anything, Apple has been behind on this stuff for a decade. And so... I think Apple is probably in here being like, we can build a better chat GPT. And then they just built a chat GPT and they're like, well, shit, <laughs> now what do we do with this? And if, if they can figure out how to make that a product people actually want to use that lives up to like Apple standards and that they can tell a privacy story about, that'll be cool and exciting. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I mean, honestly, at this point with Siri, if Siri's response to every query was, let me spin you a yarn about the like pirate Bluetooth. It's just a hilarious lie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like way better. I Maybe that's fine. <laughs> Do um, it. You know, the Amazon side of it and the Google side of it, that makes sense to me why they haven't integrated it, right? That's boring business stuff. Like Alexa is not a business. They haven't figured out how to make it a business. It's been years. They cut some of the Alexa team earlier this year because there's no path to some huge profitable business. All these queries cost money. So you're like, we're going to make it more expensive to run Alexa against no business is not a good decision. Right. So where you see Amazon investing is like, how do we use LLMs on Amazon.com, right? Yep. Which is that's the business that actually will make Amazon money in the long run. Right. Can we make can we make the descriptions of items on Amazon better and richer and more fun to read that will sell more things? Google has the same problem, right? The Google Assistant for all of its crowing about how it's the future over the past years like google assistant is not a business it, it it's useful I, like i am the only person that likes google home and it's because the displays have the cool photo feature where they are reflective that's it that's yeah. why we are a google family so but like, nothing you, to do with the google assistant no very little to do with the google <laughs> assistant. it's the, the i think the hardware is superior hardware yeah to the amazon hardware because of the the photo reflectivity feature and I think Google Photos is superior backend for photos in the Amazon thing, and fine. And Google Assistant, you exists. may set timers for me, Google. Given you've passed the first two doors, you know, like would it would it be cool if Google Assistant was more conversational and like more useful? Not sure, but then they have to run an LLM query, which costs infinitely more money than whatever steam engine Google Assistant is running on now, and is <laughs> you know? slower. And yeah. more error prone and harder to guess what it's going to do and harder to sort of manually program. Like these things are bigger and weirder and wackier. And I think that's going to make them be much slower for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And I think especially now as people are getting more used to what LMs can do and can't do, you're just seeing like, oh, these things are like, as you said, David, they're mostly a C plus. Yeah. And like in like, some cases they're getting 
dumber. Yeah. What is that study this week? The chat GPT is getting dumber at yeah, math. Right? Yeah, it's getting worse at math. That's, that's amazing. Just, that's great. Because we're all bad at math. And it's learning from us. <laughs> Stupid <Not>. computer. <laughs> That'll learn you. Like, why were we ever scared? We're the, we're, we're the, the source material. Of course, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, and then there's the idea of model collapse. Did you see um, this week Wix announced, Wix is a website yeah. host. They announced you could create an entire website and deploy it with just a couple of, like, chat bot prompts. But they were also very clear, like, don't just use the copy rewrite. It's it's written by like ChatGPT. I oh, think. I've got they're like, I've got bad news for Wix. People are just going to use the copy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a turn in there that is really fascinating to me. So the, their demo, the Wix demo, it was for like an online fitness company or something, some like training company, like something with classes. Yeah. So like they, like I have a company that does trainings, make me a website, and then it's like it showed picture of like instructors. And it was like, pick an instructor that matches your vibe. And they obviously picked like the coolest one. And then it made a whole website. And then the next turn was, we are also managing the scheduling of your classes. We see you have some open slots. Do you want us to make a social media marketing campaign to get customers for you? And you're like, yes. And it just fired off some Instagram assets or whatever. And it published them and said, it's done using the existing. And it's like, at some point, you're not even running the business. Yeah. And then I saw someone else tweeted at me, just pointing out a startup guy who's like, I just published 250,000 words of content to like 45 niche interest websites that I started. They're all just SEO honeypots and I'm making money. And it's like, oh, the the canon of C plus content is here. Yep. Yeah. At scale, like massive scale. And that's, I, you know, you know how I feel about the web. <laughs> come, come with me to my private web of people. <laughs> The robot web continues to grow. So this is actually the next piece of AI news. Meta is giving away its AI stack. It's called Llama. Now it's called Llama 2. They're running it on Azure. It's a Microsoft service. So Microsoft's kind of the overall winner, right? Big investment in OpenAI. OpenAI is using Azure. Now this partnership with Meta. Microsoft is a big investor in Meta from like way back. Now Meta's stack is going to run on Azure. So Microsoft's just like, just run it here. Just optimize for our chips and our services uh, in our data centers, and we're the winner. Like Everyone's just going to pay us the fees. The fascinating thing about Meta's announcement is they keep claiming that they've open-sourced their model, which is fascinating because it already leaked, if you will recall. So Meta's LLM leaked. People were using it. They're you know, running on laptops. So it's not a great outcome for a variety of reasons, mostly about safety. But that led to a memo inside of Google that said, we have no moat. These open-source models will kill us. Big controversy there. So now Meta's saying, okay, fine, we're just going to open source the whole thing. But then they didn't actually open source it. They didn't? So the license is not actually an open source license. It's not an official open source license. It doesn't meet the definition. What is it? It has all these restrictions in it. And if you are a big company with over 700 million active users, you don't get to use it at all. Yes. So it's just like not open source. Is that That's literally just Google and Apple. And Snap, I think, is the smallest of the companies oh, that interesting. hit okay. the threshold. And I guess like Telegram now. Sure. Sorry, Telegram. It, it, and they're like, if the our competitors wish to use it, they can make a deal with us. And it's like, guys, that's not open source. I love that. I l- open source asterisks. I mean, they keep saying it's open source. It's like you read the license; it's like not an open source license. It's well, it's just like when when Elon Musk keeps saying he's going to open source the the Twitter algorithm, and it's like posting some of the code is not the same as open sourcing. Yeah, it's like you know who the most pedantic nerds of all are are open source nerds. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like you say it's open source and you like, here's our model. And it's like, what community do you think that you are interacting with right now? I would honestly rather have like an open source aficionado read a contract I needed to sign before a contract lawyer. Yeah. Like they will go through everything. They'll Love find it. everything. <laughs> Every, do I don't have to worry like, about I'm it. I'm renting this car. Is it open source? <laughs> anyway, it's just, we, we've asked Meta about it. I'm very curious what their reasoning here is, like why they are using this term. It is going to land them in some amount of trouble with like the open source community, but they keep saying it. And I think the reason they're saying it is because they want to be perceived as a provider of models that people have a dependency on. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to open source it, you have to actually do it. You have to actually give the source code to people and let them use it however they want, basically. And Meta's like, here are a bunch of rules and restrictions. Like the words open source and acceptable use policy are not aligned. Like those are not concepts that plug into each other. This is much more in, along with like the Creative Commons, where it was like the like on Flickr a million years ago, right? There would there would be the license that it was like you can use this photo only for your personal use, and yeah. you have to give credit to the original author. And that's kind of a foundational thing on the internet. That's not open source. Open source means you can have it and do what you want with it. Generally speaking, yeah, open source licenses are copyright licenses. They're like yeah. rooted in the fact that you own the copyright, and you're like offering terms of a license. But they are very rarely like conditional in the way that this is conditional. And yeah. now we're 40 years into the open source experiment. There are governance bodies that are like, these are the licenses that count and these are the ones that don't. And Meta didn't pick one that does, you know? And like, is this the biggest deal in the world? It's not the biggest deal in the world. Can I tell the Vergecast audience about open source licenses? I can. And I, I think Meta should be like, we should stop using this word. Because it just doesn't mean the thing that it's supposed to mean. And that's, like to me, important. They're going to keep doing it until they get in trouble. Well, that's why I'm, that's the sheriff that's, yeah. of open source is here. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know if you know. It's my fourth title here at Fox Media. They call me the sheriff. Uh, well, but I'm saying that community, before we noticed it, the yeah. open source community said, what are you doing here? And I think it's... It is important for how software is made that those words continue to mean the thing they're supposed to mean. All right. I promised we would segue from this AI conversation to the Hollywood AI conversation. Yeah. I'm going to figure out a way to segue it. Okay. I, I can segue this with a question. So I found myself, for whatever reason, listening to a lot of podcasts about the strikes happening in Hollywood. And the reason I think we should talk about the strike right now is there's a lot of different things floating around, a lot of different arguments being had. There are two separate strikes happening that are kind of connected and kind of not. And the biggest thing I cannot figure out and I want you to answer this for me, Kranz, is okay. how much is this actually about AI? Because what the writers have been saying is we don't want studios to be able to use ChatGPT and other tools to generate scripts. The actors were saying we don't want you to be able to use our likenesses and like make deep fakes of us to go into movies. And then I listened to all these like big wigs in the entertainment business saying, no, that's all sort of a, a far off farce. What they're actually arguing about is streaming residuals. Which one is it? Yeah, streaming residuals are the like residuals is the core thing here because residuals is how the majority of both actors and writers get paid. Okay. So let's let's come back to that. But let, yeah. tell so me how much AI actually matters first. AI matters because in both cases they're worried about the potential future use, not the current use to some extent, okay. to a large extent. And so they're worried about that potential future use and they want to make sure that the studios don't be assholes further down the line. So for the writers, they're specifically saying we want certain protections. You can't give us, you can't have ChatGPT go come up with a script and then make us write it and then not pay us for coming up with the ideas for the script. Like, 
we don't want to have to be using chat GPT prompts to write. And and so that's like the core thing there is, is they, they don't want – they want AI to be treated as a tool, not as like a creative force that can be copyrighted and everything like that. But no one is out here thinking that – Tomorrow, Chat GPT could write a great script that would turn into a blockbuster Marvel. Oh, movie, some right? people. Are. Yeah, are they out there? The correct. Studios are. Totally, I mean, they're definitely not correct. Yeah, the studios are very interested in in AI, and they would like they would love to be able to cut the writers out entirely, or just pay writers to edit whatever Chat GPT wrote. Which, like, they would love to do that, and they'd love to do that consistently. And the writers are like, "You can't do that yet. You will probably be able to do that in a few years, and we want to go ahead and just." Nip that in the bud now. Okay. So that's what's happening with the writers. For the actors, it's specifically – right now, if you're an actor, you just go get scanned. Like you sign a contract for a new show or something, a new movie. You go and they're going to like scan your face. They're going to scan your body. And then they just take that data and walk away with it. <laughs> and right now, there's it's not clear where they take that data. And if you know, hit me up because I'd love to know. But specifically background actors, they're saying, well, we would love to take a background actor's face and scan it and then never pay them for that initial scan and never pay them again and use their face however we want forever in, in our films and TVs. And so background actors are like, a, like, that's how you get your card. That's how you kind of get into SAG. That's a, for some of them, it's not a livelihood, but it's. It keeps the lights on, right? Like mm-hmm. between that and their DoorDash side hustle or whatever. And so they, they they obviously don't want to do that. So that's where they're concerned there because most of the big actors like the Matt Damons, the Killian Murphys. Yes, I saw Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, you see it in 70 millimeter? No. With the Palm Pilot? But I saw it with Christopher Nolan. And so I think it's okay if we Did don't see like it on IMAX. <laughs> I think flex. it's okay. Yeah, flex. <laughs> so just to put a point on that. So I was thinking about this because have you guys seen the new Indiana Jones movie? Not no. yet. But they, they age stuff they do. In yeah. That. So for the first like 20 minutes of the movie, I guess this is a spoiler alert, but like whatever, it's Indiana Jones. He's de-aged, like digitally de-aged. And it is, it is both spoiler. the best. If you think that's a spoiler, don't email us. Go ahead. <laughs> if, if you think it's a spoiler, you already have commented on TheVerge.com about it. So I understand. <laughs> but it's better than any version of that I've seen before. And it's also still pretty bad. And it also... Clearly still requires Harrison Ford. So that one was unique, though, because they used Lucasfilm had tons of footage of him. They had all these dailies from all the other projects, all the Star Wars and Indiana Jones they've used when he was that age. And so they actually used all of that footage to recreate his face. So that's actually maybe closer to the kind of thing you're talking about than most of what we've seen in the past. And that one was okay because, like... Should, it, it was like the stuff – they weren't using it in other things. And and for someone of his level, like they're going to go and make a, a different deal. Like yeah, his, presumably he's gonna he have this, He's going to have like a SAG contract, but he's also going to have this other contract. And, and, and they'll they'll make those agreements. This is to protect all those people who don't have these other – these other contra- separate contracts to make sure that they don't get screwed over. So that like you're a background actor, you hit it big, and then suddenly you're just popping up all over the place because – Right. 20 years ago, somebody got the rights to your face. That's what they're okay. trying to avoid. So what's fascinating about that is the writers are sort of operating in the bounds of existing copyright law. Yes. Because they write things. Yeah. And the, you can make copies of it. And the law understands all of that. And so the writers are like, we want to get paid these rates for these kinds of work. Your face is not a copy of anything. <laughs> It's just your or face. should not be. And the idea that 
you can scan it and that becomes a copy of your face and you've made a copy of your face doesn't exist anywhere. But it exists in some state level likeness law, right of publicity Mm -hmm. law. There's no copyright law for your face. This is just a new problem. And so it's I think Hollywood is going to have to invent a solution to this problem that is way ahead of the government of courts or whatever, because there's just no answer. You can't go and find the answer to this question inside the law. And I'm not saying the writers don't have complicated problems of their own. Mm -hmm. But they're at least inside of something that makes sense, that there's a framework for talking about. I'll give you an example. Just this week, there was a court case uh, where a bunch of photographers had sued first BuzzFeed and then Instagram because BuzzFeed had embedded Instagrams of their photos. So that right, the photographers are taking some photos, posting them on Instagram. BuzzFeed embedded the Instagram posts onto BuzzFeed articles. And the photographer sued BuzzFeed and Instagram and said, this is copyright infringement. Haven't we had this debate before? I'm getting like real deja vu yes. listening to you explain yeah, this. Yeah, this okay. happens all the time. And so the courts over the years, this is a true thing in our law. No one talks about it. Like we're, if you look at people on the social networks, they're all like, LLMs are fair use, training data is fair Like this is where we are in reality in 2023. The courts applied what is known as the server test. And they said, no copy of this photo was ever made on BuzzFeed. The photo still existed on Instagram servers and the user's web browser called Instagram servers, thereby the server test, which is now part of United States copyright law, is there is no copyright infringement the photographers lose. But if BuzzFeed had screenshotted that Instagram and put it on its site, it might have been a different and fight. That's why you don't and screenshot. And to the user, there's no difference no. in those things. Right. Right. Wild. And we're we're at where is the copy? I am gonna keep I'm gonna end up saying this on the show a thousand times <laughs> yeah. during this AI battle. Copyright law is about copies. The court in deciding whether embedding an Instagram post on a BuzzFeed article is copyright infringement goes and finds the copy of the photo and it's on Instagram server, because that's where the photographer themselves put it in accordance with Instagram's terms of service. And the court said, nope, BuzzFeed can use it for free because it's on Instagram server. And if they had screenshotted it, like David said, and put it on their thing, which is to you exactly the same experience. And in many cases, good journalism practice, right? Because Instagram could take a photo down. Who knows? Like, yeah. Then they might have lost because the copy of the photo would have been on BuzzFeed servers. And that is the game. Like, where is the copy? And so the writers on on their side, they have copy. They have hundreds of years of copyright law about writing things down and making copies of them and putting them here and who owns what's rights. And you get to faces and you're like, we just don't do this. Hmm. There's there's a vacuum of this because you can't do it. There's just never been occasion to care about it before. Right. right? Yeah. You've made a copy of my face. Like, oh, that's a, that's that's a photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. Yeah. Right. Or you've made a movie and like for me to be in your movie, there's uh, some laws about like my life. There's cases about re-edits of movies that you can like we've covered because they're complicated, but you've never had the, you took my whole face and now you can use my face as many times as you want. We have, the, we like, we see this sometimes like in Hollywood, there is a little bit more law here. and I'm, Yeah, California state yeah, law because of Hollywood exists. Because like Sima Liu, the, the actor who was in Shang-Chi last year for Marvel, before he was a big famous actor, he went out and did a whole bunch of photos for public, like just yeah. go use them in Shutterstock or whatever. And so then now you can go find those and be like, put him 
put this big celebrity <laughs> like royalty free. Yeah, this royalty free big celebrity thing. And and we've seen this happen a couple of times. And then they'll usually but you be like, can do that. You can't. He can't. Yeah, tell he, you take him down because they're royalty free stock photos of him. Right. But like. But even that is a photo. That's not his face. Yeah. You haven't made him do something he wasn't doing before because you have a digital model of his face. Yeah. And there's just no, as far as I know, there's not like a great framework for that. There's some in some ones people have come up out of whole cloth, like um, that horrible Will Smith movie that they shot at 120 hertz. Do you know what I'm talking about? Gemini Man. If you watch it in the intended frame rate, it looks like a CGI demo reel. It doesn't even look like a real movie. <laughs> like, why'd you do this? It's like an Unreal Engine commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for that movie, he signed a deal where I think he owns that model. He didn't want the studio to have it. But he's Will Smith. He has the leverage to do it. These background actors, they their only way to get leverage is by going on strike. Yeah. And so that's what they're doing. They're all on strike, and it's going to last a while. It seems like everybody's really entrenched in their positions. Uh, the producers don't want to give over more money because this is ultimately this all boils down to money, right? Yeah. Streaming makes a lot of money. Streaming is we, – we like to talk about, oh, which streamer is going to be go ni- on the Go90 scale, but they all make money. They're all doing pretty okay. Some – Netflix, way better than everybody else, right? They're doing they're doing great. And Netflix, uh, they uh, rolled out the ad tier. Subscriptions mm-hmm. went up. Yeah, and Netflix also was one of the first to figure out how to – I don't want to say manipulate, but aggressively use the current contracts to cut down on how much they pay people. And that's what they're trying to get rid of. That's what they're trying to fix. Right. And naturally, Netflix doesn't want to help them on that because they want to keep all the money for themselves. So Netflix is really interesting. Uh, It's time for the disclosure block. We're way late on this. I apologize. We're minutes late to this series of escalating disclosures. Uh, One, we made a Netflix show. I'm the EP of that Netflix show. It's called The Future of. You should go watch it. Two, our company makes all kinds of other Netflix shows with all the other streamers. That division of our company is called Box Media Studios. You should watch everything they make. And then send us cash in an envelope. <laughs> Our newsroom is unionized through Writers Guild of America. I'm in the WGA. Yeah. Here she is. It's true. She's she's on strike. <laughs> I'm I, not on strike. She's not on strike. I'm not I'm not on a contract that is currently on strike. Alex will not be in the background of your movie. That too. Until <laughs> future notice. And then uh, NBC is one of these companies. Universal. And yeah, NBC Universal is currently. And they own a chunk of Vox Media. We all they watch do. shows from time to time. Just, there's, there's all they are actually at the heart of a lot of the, the, the strike stuff happening this week, NBC Universal. Really? Yep. Do tell. Yeah. So this is, we're getting to tree law now. Oh, here we go. Tree law. All caps, tree law, just to be yes. clear. This is not lowercase. This is all caps. NBC Universal is one of the many studios that is currently, they're, they're having strikes outside of them. And so picket lines go out there and they march. And it's a real honest to God picket line like you see from history. The signs are incredible, by the way. Just as a as a side note, like an incredible genre of the Internet right now is writer and actor picket signs. They're just <laughs> phenomenal. If you ever wanted to go meet an actor, they might be on a picket line right now and you can go meet them. But you should also be picketing and like give them water and stuff. Yeah. But so planned picket lines were to happen outside of NBC Universal. They have a whole bunch of trees which provide lovely shade. Those trees are owned by Los Angeles because they're outside of the studio. Those trees were all mysteriously trimmed just before the picket line was supposed to happen. So there was no shade. And it's like 100 degrees in Hollywood right now. And so there was a lot. NBC Universal said, it's just standard. We always trim these trees down to the like the, the limbs. Nubs. <laughs> yeah, this is totally normal. 
it's fine. It's not. L.A. is like investigating them because tree law, tree law. It's, you can't. That's not their trees to go trimming, and it's apparently really bad to trim those trees to that length in the summertime. That's just cartoon villainy. It's Seriously, just, like I was gonna say the thing about Netflix, which all the producers are doing cartoon villainy in some way. The tree yeah. law thing is ridiculous. Oof. Netflix got a pass on this contractual obligation stuff, right? Because. Yeah. If you think back a year ago or two years ago, Netflix was just writing checks nobody could match. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like, Shonda Rhimes, here's a billion dollars. Make as many shows as you can, right? And what has turned is Netflix needed to be profitable, so it stopped writing those checks. It burned a lot of those creators by not renewing their shows. It burned a lot of the fandoms of those shows by not renewing the shows. It has all this content. No one's making any residuals. And then the most important thing is that all the other companies chase Netflix into that business model. Yep. So they all felt like they had to compete. They had to outspend Netflix. So for a minute, Netflix is the industry hero because they're writing big checks and they have a business model that seems to work. And they, I mean, it does because they're profitable. And then at the other end of the rainbow is, oh, the whole industry adopted this business model. The, the financial structure of how we get paid is now gone because we were addicted to cable reruns and selling internationally into different markets. And now it's all just on HBO Max or Peacock or Netflix or whatever. Yeah, because these shows are like, if you look at the contract, these shows appear differently in the contract. They don't Mm -hmm. appear as linear TV. They don't appear as cable TV. And so in order to hit like that threshold to start paying higher residuals, they have to make more content. And it's usually like, I think after the second season is when things start to go up, which is why you see so many Netflix shows canceled after the second season, because then they they don't have to pay increased residuals. But Kamika Glenn was a actress on Orange is the New Black. She was a main character on that show. She was in, I think she started in like the second or third season is when she appeared on the show. In a ton of it, main character making maybe, if she's lucky, 50 cents per episode in residuals when like she's a star of the show. And that's most of that cast, which was all primarily – People who weren't normally seen on TV. It was a big deal that they all got these roles and they were all having to work second jobs, third jobs to afford. And they still are like this did not open the world to them and make them all fabulously rich. Maybe other shows did if they went lucky and got a network show. But if you're on a streaming show, you're not like you cannot support yourself. You have to have a second job, which means you will see an actor you love at Target and you should be really polite to them because they're probably (laughs) working. Just be chill. Yeah. It's like Mandy Moore, who is like a huge star and was on This Is Us, which was a giant hit, was talking in an interview, I think this week, about the residuals check that she's been getting from Hulu, which now has This Is Us. And she said there was one check that was one penny. There was one that was two cents. There was one that was 81 cents. It's like, this is nothing. This is not actual money that these folks are getting. But the thing that I struggle with is if you rewind five years, there were a lot of very smart people who were like waving their hands saying, this is unsustainable. Netflix is spending money. It doesn't have. It's in crazy debt. We're due for some consolidation. This is all getting out of control. And for years, everybody just like blissfully danced along. And a lot of people made a lot of money off of these streaming services. Like Shonda Rhimes made a ton of money and employed a lot of people. And so was were we just always due for this Correction is this is just the pendulum swinging to the other side before we get to the middle. This is totally because the WGA strike back in 2007 was about residuals then, too, for streaming. They saw this was like totally nascent at this point. I think there were like maybe three web series 
Uh, disclosure, I was actually writing for one of those Good at the time. Yes. It was Lifetime That's Movie Network. Disclosure. <laughs> That's Show. so much better than my Joseph and the Amazing Dream Code disclosure. I, I wrote one episode. What was it called? <laughs> It was the show was called Inspector Mom. Oh my god, incredible! <laughs> Wait, starring Jane, Danica McKellar. <laughs> Danica, wow. Yeah, she's lovely. Wow. Yeah, it's fancy. But so back in two thousand seven, it was like us and Battlestar Galactica, and <laughs> I want you to be, be cl- very clear: we were in one, no way in the same <laughs> yeah. level as Battlestar one Galactica. Of those, one of those was a hit. Yeah, one of those you know, <laughs> the other one you just learned about. Um, but there was, but. There wasn't a lot, but everybody was super interested in it. And yeah. at the time, everybody was doing it as an ultra-low budget. And when you're producing these things as ultra-low budget, you don't have to pay as much. You you can really dick people around. And you can pay them a lot less. You can pay your writers less. You can pay your actors less and everything like that. And they were like, well, this is going to be a whole new thing. We clearly need to make sure our writers get paid. And so that's why they went on strike back in 2007 – to, to make sure that they were going to get that money. And they were really not as aggressive as they should have been. There was a big argument within the WGA about it at the time. The f- people who were like, don't worry about it, won. All the other people were like, what did we say for the last 15 yeah, yeah. years? And so now we're at this point. Like, they've been waiting for a very long time. This was always probably going to happen. And I think the biggest surprise is that the DGA, the Directors Guild, isn't a part of this. Because so many – I think – the reason that didn't happen for them is so many of them are also producers. Much more of them, like standard, are producers as well. So they're like, this works for us. We're fine. Yeah. We can we can make it work. But they're also and directors in a very real way. You can't copy their work. Yeah. Like, like a lot of those big existential questions that are facing the writers and the actors, directors don't have to deal with. And And these other ones are having to face that. Like writers having to face – Okay, if the producer like goes and writes a prompt and sends me that prompt that like writes a prompt, chat GPT spits something out. He sends that to me. Who owns the and I write a whole script. Do I own the copyright to my script? Does chat GPT own the copyright to the script? Does the guy who like busted out a quick prompt own the copyright to my script and everything in it and all the the, the intellectual material? Like they gave me 150 words and I turned that into a 2-hour movie. Why should the studio get to own that? So, again, there's just a long history of concepts yeah. that might help you answer that question. I don't know what they're going to land. What I, what I know is the money that they're looking for, the challenge is that either it doesn't exist the way that it used to or it exists but it's flowing to the CEOs slash it's being used to fund vastly more projects than before. So Friends, I think Friends is like the example here. All the people who made Friends are rich and they're going to keep being rich and whatever. They're doing great. They're doing great. Seinfeld, another example. They made Friends. They put it on broadcast television. They sold a bunch of ads against that broadcast television. They paid all the actors a million dollars an episode for Friends because just that first cut was so valuable with ads and broadcast television. Everybody watched it every Thursday. Then they sold it again to foreign countries and to syndication and to cable networks. Then they sold it a 15th time to Netflix. Then it came off of Netflix and they sold it a 16th time to what is it, Hulu? Mm-hmm. Where is it now? Wherever it is I think now. it's on Peacock now? It's on Peacock. It's on Peacock, yeah. Where they sold it to themselves the last time. <laughs> well, and it was a big deal. Do you remember how big a deal that was actually? Because they were leaving a ton of money on the table to yeah. bring it back to Peacock as a big bet on what Peacock was. Like to, that, that thing held its value for so long. Right, because it's a... 
it's an asset. Like it's a very, I don't know, you make a widget and you can sell it however many times. The streaming model is you make a show and you sell it once. Yep. Probably to yourself. And then you hope it brings in subscribers and you, you kind of end up in this horrible Spotify situation where you're like, okay, you pay me $9 a month. You watch, you play this much Taylor Swift. We're going to divide up the total number of streams and Taylor Swift gets a penny, but she gets a billion streams. So it's a billion. And like the contract they're negotiating now has to contend with that math versus the we made you a show and you have sold it for dollars over and over and over again. Now it's we made you a show and you're going to sell it for pennies we'll see, once. We're seeing a big change there. Like David Zaslav loved to rip Our on the favorite. guy, cartoonish villain in many ways. But but he is big on like a show doesn't work for us or whatever. We can go and sell it again. Mm-hmm. We saw that with Westworld. And I think we're going to see more of that, especially some of it is – we need to unload these assets that are, just aren't doing it for us. Maybe they'll do better on Peacock um, because nobody subscribes to Peacock except for me. Maybe and they'll maybe do David? better on Peacock. That's yeah. going to save the industry. That's, that's, a, that's the industry. a sign. That's a strike sign right <laughs> but, there. But they, they are thinking about like we, we – like they're starting to think about how we need to sell these things and and make more money off of it. The studios are thinking that, not just the, the writers and actors and producers and everybody who are making no money in per- perpetuity – on these projects. So I think we are going to see some changes there. I think we're going to see kind of a return to some extent of that current, like that TV model from 10, 15 years ago. I don't think it's going to be as lucrative as it was then. And it's going to be 2003 again. This is just what we're doing here. We're going to (laughs) see, I think what we're really going to find out is how powerful the Netflix voting block in the producers union is, or the producers guild. That's the real thing. Cause Netflix doesn't want to ever move to that model. They want to have everything owned by them and then never pay you residuals. A lot of these other studios have been doing this a lot longer, and they're going to be more inclined to go in a different direction. So we're going to see. I'm really curious to see how this ends. I think it's going to be a long time. I think we're yeah. in for we're in for mid into, into winter, yep. basically. All right, we got to take a break. We come back with a lightning round. Maybe some more gadgets. Yeah, I talk some CMS. People have asked before. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back. Slightly around time. We went way over. We're already over. You get me talking about unions in Hollywood. (laughs) That's you and copyright. That's and it's all at the same time. Oh my god, poor David. Sorry, David's just been holding up a stopwatch in the background, like red cards. Like stop, (laughs) stop, nerds, please, nerd car, going off cliff. All right, lightning round. David, you want to start? Sure. So, well, I have two. One is just that Andrew Marino and I figured out why there's a Palm Pilot in your favorite IMAX theater, and you should go read our story. Very good. Uh, the answer turns out to be like very small and slightly boring, but also deeply hilarious, and it makes me very happy. Can I just say the sourcing in that story is incredible, because you keep referring to a well-placed sort. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal who it is. It just it makes it sound like you're reporting on the CIA in the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the truth of the matter is... Um, there aren't that many people who know. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, it's my source is Christopher Nolan. <laughs> let's just, let's just let's just do it now. No, I want to talk just very briefly about this new thing called the US Cyber Trust Mark, which is basically a label that is going to be affixed to products that are, I don't know, safe in a cybersecurity way. And I both want to know what you guys think of the logo which I have deeply mixed feelings about. To me, it looks like a like second-tier Turkish soccer team crest. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the vibe I get here. But it's like a shield with some dots and some lines. Too busy. It's just not great. And this is supposed to connote like the, this is an official government-approved yeah. cyber-secure thing. To me, this strikes me as a good idea in theory, right? Like having a thing that is like, this is a secure device that has passed some measure of testing and will not do sketchy things. Great idea. It's along the lines of the like, you know, privacy nutrition labels Apple does in the app store. Big fan. I don't see any world in which this is enforceable or holds up over time. Threats change, devices change, standards change, things go out of date. There's always some new hack. And the idea that uh, one of the things they want to do is put a QR code on the box so you can scan the QR code to see if it's up to date and still safe. So actually, the badge doesn't mean anything. You have to scan the QR code to see if the badge still applies. I just think this is one of those like good ideas that nobody actually thought all the way through. And- if I was a horrible person, I would go print out a bunch of these fake labels and put them on real products and like Best Buy and then, and then have people, shit out of yeah. When when people scan it, <laughs> oh my god! Just I don't have the technological know-how, and I'm not that horrible yet, so I won't do this. But like, it seems like a very easy way to cheat this system and screw over a lot of people. Also, it's ugly. Yeah, it's it's not beautiful. Yeah, I'm it's, I'm really out. But of like, the are they gonna make like a beautiful label that's like insecure Wi-Fi? <laughs> you know, the UL label <laughs> is gorgeous. No one knows what that means. Yeah, I don't know what it means, but I know it's pretty. 
that's fair. But my thing with this is, I think like the the one of the comparisons that the FCC's Jeff Jess Rosenworcel made is to like the Energy Star logo, yep. which is a useful thing, right? And they're talking about this a lot with right to repair stuff too. That you should have these quick visual signals that like this passes some kind of test that I approve of, right? Like it is it is Energy certified. That's good. <laughs> it the vibes <laughs> are good, right? And with right to repair, it's like that's good too. And this one just seems way higher stakes because you're what you're asking me to do is make like a real problematic decision about this thing whether it is safe or not for me to use based on this label and with that just would need to come this really complicated enforcement mechanism that i'm not sure is even really possible to do well i like that even the official like mock-up of it from the fcc is hard to read (laughs) like you have to do some really bad design to be like, yeah, it's also terrible to read. It's I'm just it's ugly. And I think you're right. Like, how are you supposed to nothing is secure if it's a connected to the the Internet? It's in some way can be hacked. Someone will well, figure yeah, it out. I, yes, that, I, I agree with you broadly on that front. That's how I have lived my life. She said with her laptop and phone and smartwatch. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But like we've now covered enough fly by night products. Yeah. I'm thinking of wise, right? Where they made claims are backed up by no one. They're unenforceable because they're backed up by no one. Like this is a very sort of like how does a market capitalist government fix problems like this is like, we'll put a nutrition label on it. And like, This is the answer to every question is like consumers will count calories, but for gadgets. But like at least if you put this label on and you lie, you people can sue you. That's true. And that Fair. is as much of a corrective as anything. Yeah. I'll give okay. you that. I almost feel like it should be more like the the like Surgeon General's warning on a pack of cigarettes that's just yeah. like this thing connects to the internet. Be worried about that. Is like that's <laughs> I that feels to me like it would be more immediately productive but the difference between the american surgeon general warning and like the british one is that we we should do the british ones like in europe the cigarettes just say this will kill you (laughs) (laughs) yeah here it's like surgeon general's warning a bunch of stuff and like over there it's like death Uh death lurks here (laughs) delicious death You'll never stop thinking about it for the rest of your life if you do this in your 20s. Neil is just quietly pulling the cigarette out as we speak. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so good. Uh, The first one after a drink. But it'll kill you. All right. I'll stop now. I was like, I don't even smoke and I want a cigarette now. (laughs) Have you ever had one of these after a big dinner? Woo! That'll kill you for sure. Steak dinner. (laughs) Covered in butter. This is the worst lighting. Uh Uh, That's mine. Neil, what's yours? Wait, I'm sorry. You have four assigned to you here. This podcast has been very long. Pick one. <laughs> All right, I'm picking one. I'm going to pick the WordPress one. Okay. Yeah. So our company this week announced that we're switching CMSs. This is so nerdy, but people asked me to talk about it. So if you have been following us since 2011, you know that right now, uh, one of our CMSs that we use is a proprietary CMS called Chorus that we have made a lot of noise about uh, over the decade of this company. Chorus is a lot of things. If you are a web nerd, you know that the CMS is uh, it's the database from which we serve the website. And CMSs can do an awful lot of things. At a basic level, the CMS is a text editor and a database of content. And sometimes it's also the front end of the website. So you, you can separate those things. With our redesign, we decoupled the front end of the website, the thing that you all look at at theverge.com, from the back end, which is what we all type in. 
So now through an API, you go to verge.com, the API pulls out of the database, whatever. Which means you can sw swap out the back end of the thing. We already use multiple CMSs to make the Verge all the time. One of our CMSs is Google Sheets. And I promise you, every big publisher from the Times on down has content that is served out of Google Sheets. I can confirm this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a useful, like, it's a really powerful spreadsheet that never goes down. Like, you, could, if you need to make that kind of thing, you can do it. Uh, when we do our live blogs, we use a, a CMS called Norcon Live Center, which hilariously is, I think most of our clients are like, English Premier League blogs. So there's a bunch of features in Live Center that I always want to use that make no sense, like a running score tally. A button that just says goal. <laughs> yeah, it's like very funny. We, I just, I'm dying to use those features. If you can figure them out, we'll do them in the next Apple event. But that's another CMS we use. I, I think all of you know I'm excited about ActivityPub. I think plugging a social network into our stack of things. You can see how a threads post and a quick post on our front page are closer in spirit than not. There's a lot you could do there if you think of that as a CMS. So we're swapping out Chorus, which is our main CMS that we write most things in for WordPress, but we're keeping the front end experience of the site because we've decoupled the two things. That's the answer. It, and it's a big emotional decision at our company. A lot of us, have, I, most of my life's work has been produced in Chorus. There, there, there it is. I, I, I feel a way about it, but people ask me why it's happening because I saw the Axios article. And it's, you want to spend your developer effort on building new kinds of products, not making a word processor in a database. That's, that's life in software. I keep sending people the video of uh, Steve Jobs doing a funeral for Mac OS 9. I don't think this is going over as well as I want it to, but I think it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got for you. All right. What's your lightning round, Alex? Uh, Omar thought he ordered coffee this week. Okay. And he's like, wait a minute. I don't I don't use the Starbucks app that often. And it was because there was a bug with the Starbucks app. And so it told a whole bunch of users that they all ordered coffee this <laughs> Amazing. week. Amazing. Everybody was like, wait a minute. But I didn't. And I just think that's hysterical. Was it the intern? This is my favorite thing that happens. Like when that, what was it? The HBO sent that test email to like millions of people a while <sighs> ago because somebody yeah. pressed the wrong thing. It's like when when you hit. The, when you mean to hit the test button and you accidentally hit the send this to everybody button, it just know that it always makes me happy every single time. What they what they told Omar was earlier today, a push notification from the Starbucks app was sent as an error. So, yes, it probably yeah. was. An Somebody clicked the wrong like, button. Boop. Yep. Everybody got coffee. Nobody is getting free coffee out of this. You still have to pay for coffee at Starbucks. But I do. It's also like Starbucks should learn from this because this is an incredible marketing thing to do to just randomly ping someone's phone and say your order is ready it's yeah. like oh, yeah. the pavlovian thing that would happen to me where i would just go to starbucks if i got that notification <laughs> like, i don't remember ordering starbucks but there's like a 60 percent chance i did i'm gonna go it would work i'm just saying starbucks i would definitely think that my identity had been stolen mm. i would have a vastly different response I'd be like, <laughs> i need to throw my phone in the ocean right away and call my mom like i would just assume i blacked out and ordered starbucks <laughs> yeah fair enough I can't believe we just gave Starbucks this idea. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Talk about engagement, baby. Delete the Starbucks app. Did I ever tell you about the time I gave Amazon an idea for an ad that they used and didn't give me credit for? And I'm furious about it. Gee, you should go on strike. Yeah, go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Don't All give right. them your we ideas. We are way over. We will tell you that story next week. Fair enough. On this, The Vergecast. Some things I want you to read on our site. Uh, we have an excerpt of John Romero's autobiography, Doom Guy, which is a story of id software. Go read that. It's a great, great. story. 
good yarn. And then McKenna Kelly wrote an incredible profile of Gigi Stone and how her nomination to be an FCC commissioner was basically just overturned by weird, dark money and telecom lobbyists. It'll make you angry, but in a, like a righteous way. It's good. It's so that's story. a good feeling. You want to harness that that feeling. And then on Decoder, I asked the CEO of Squarespace why anyone should make a website. And I'm pretty sure I sold them a pressure washer. That's it's a weird one. <laughs> it was, it was, those, those two ideas, I promise they connect. It was great. Okay, that's it. That's for a chance. Rock on. And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The VergeCast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week. Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.